There's that. Okay. Ah. Cinnamon coffee. I have cinnamon hot water today. Mm. I've put a little too. essential oils in my hot water. Did you keep like, myself warm in the garage? Did you have a little like <laughs> special time thinking about your water pick when you had that? You know what? <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe you're picking on my water pick. We're Cara and Jill, two trainers, owners of Push Fitness, and the hosts of this podcast. During training sessions with our clients, we often tell them to get comfortable being uncomfortable. And we're saying that right now to you too. Let's push ourselves. Let's push ourselves to see fitness differently. Let's push the envelope when it comes to self-love. Let's push a new narrative about women and weight. Let's push out harmful ideas about the body that are rooted in racism and patriarchy. Let's find a new definition of fitness that welcomes all people. You ready? I'm ready. Let's push push it. it. Hello, welcome to the Push Podcast. This is Season 1, Episode 8. Thanks for tuning in. If you haven't subscribed to the Push Podcast yet, please do so. The more subscriptions we get, the more visible we are, and the more people we can find just like you. Yeah. So So, here we are. Yeah. Jill, how are you doing? I'm good. I I was telling Cara before our podcast started today that I... Um, we are both trained doulas and I was on call for a birth last week and this gal was due on Thursday. Uh, so today is Tuesday. So a little, a little less than a week ago. And I thought for sure, like every night that I went to bed, I'm like, this is the night she's going to call me at like 2am. Like I'm ready. It's, it's going to be fine. (laughs) And then it just didn't happen and it didn't happen. And, um, so I know what that feels like. (laughs) Yeah. You do. So my doula partner is on call this week and she uh, met up with her at 8 p.m. last night and it is now a quarter after 12 the next day and they are still working on having that baby. So I feel like (laughs) I'm not really jealous of all of those hours, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but yeah. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) My youngest was 11 days overdue and I was so big and I was having a lot of contractions I had this irritable uterus syndrome and I remember like feeling like every single day like surely this will be this will be the day and I Mm -hmm. thought he was going to come early because he was so big and I was having those contractions for months and nope he just he was comfortable yeah so so I feel this mama's pain I, I hope that baby comes soon (laughs) yeah I keep expecting to like get that message like oh she had the baby but it's still I still haven't seen it so (laughs) sounds like she's still working on it it's taking her time so you may have noticed last week that we didn't put a new episode out and that was because we had just come off of a weekend work retreat in Bend and Mm -hmm. we were uh, just letting ourselves catch our breath a little bit and now we're we're back and ready to go but Bend was awesome Yes. Oh my gosh. Yeah. We stayed in this cute little Airbnb. It was like a loft on top of a big garage. So it was this big open space, two beds, a little like couch workstation. There was a table that 
probably would have been a better workstation that we never used and right. like snacks and hot tea Jill, <laughs> Jill was making fun of me because I was like so excited about the tea and coffee situation I was like oh after we get done with dinner we can go home and have some hot tea and I was like you are so cool I'm really the party animal out of the two of us so yeah you are <laughs> Well, we didn't end up using that um, table as a workstation because it wasn't close enough to the vampire diaries. Oh, that's right. So, <laughs> so I don't know how we managed, but we decided that the, the first night we were there that we had to watch some trashy TV and we found a show called The Vampire Diaries, which I don't know, depending on your taste in television, ours is pretty bad. Um, mm -hmm. We either highly recommend or don't. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> it was highly input. entertaining yes yeah. but we signed into my netflix account when we were there and when we got home cara had texted me and said what episode were we on so i went back and looked and i was like 17 how did we get anything we, done we got and we did we got so much done so we that weekend like we put together we upgraded and um, put together the launch for our pregnancy program, mm -hmm. um, which will be rolling out pretty soon. So really excited about that. But um, yeah. So yeah. Oh, let me tell you what else I'm excited about is uh, I'm taking Oliver for his flu shot today. Oh, that That's is almost as much fun as binging the Vampire Diaries. Almost. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So <laughs> Yeah, so the, when I told him he was going to go for the flu shot, he actually ran and hid in his room under the bed. Oh, no. So I anticipate this going really well. But we, the last time, okay, so you know this story, but the last time that I took the boys to get their shots, we just took them at the same time. Mm -hmm. And my older son has always been really afraid of needles. And so he was like, you know what, this time... I'll go first and I'll show Oliver that there's just nothing to worry about. It's going to be fine. I'm brave. I got this mom. I was like, Oh, this is awesome. Like this is a, maybe this will be a good tool for D to show Oliver that some things that he thinks might be scary aren't really that scary. So the nurse comes in and starts prepping the needles. And my son Diedrich starts rocking back and forth in a panic. <laughs> Just don't do it, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. And chanting. Oliver's eyes get like as big as saucers. He hops off the exam table and starts like running towards the door. And it, like in my head, all I see is like Oliver's body and these little egg beaters underneath just <laughs> spinning. <laughs> like he's like, clearly this is not a good thing. I am so out of here. <laughs> So there was a lot of commotion in that room, oh, screaming. No. Like I just, I just good oh. job, big brother. Right. So today, I don't know. I don't. I'm hoping that it will go better, and then Oliver will like, maybe not be quite so terrified. Right. Oh, well, but, yeah. <laughs> that should be super fun. Super. Yeah. Fun. Yeah. So I have that to look forward to. <laughs> You'll have to tell me how that goes when I see oh, you later. Sure. Yes, I will. So today, um, we are going to be talking about how we ruffled a few feathers. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and the rustle and feathers. Yes. So you may have noticed that the title of the episode includes words such as fat phobia and racism and diet culture. And as it turns out, mm-hmm. not everybody is super receptive to anti-diet culture. Mm-hmm. And we're going to tell you a little bit more about that. Yes. Yeah. So um, I think I, I, Jill's going to read the actual post, but I was the author of the post, so I can talk about it a little bit. I just, yes. um, I wanted to write something that did get people to think and did get people's attention. And boy, did I, um, I wrote that post and while we got a lot of support for it and thank you for talking about this, we also got a lot of pushback and people really feeling personally attacked by the post. And so we really wanted to talk about that today. Not only some of the research behind the statements that we made, but also um, sort of talking about how these reactions happen and mm-hmm. maybe what we can do when we start feeling these kinds of reactions bubble up in, the, in us because they are very normal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so here is the text of the post. This was on Instagram. Um, You can find our Instagram at push.fitness.salem, and you can see this for yourself. But what it says is, just a reminder, the pursuit of thinness is rooted in anti-blackness. Does this mean that you are a racist if you participate in diet culture? No, it means you are a victim to a culture standard that might not suit your heart. Bodies naturally come in all shapes and sizes and colors and abilities and genders. Bodies are not static either. They naturally change constantly. Maybe it's not your body that needs to change. Maybe it's our relationship with our body. Mm-hmm. You bitch. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> right. How dare you? Well, but, like, seriously, somebody really did get on there and said, oh, because I'm trying to, to lose weight and lower my blood pressure pressure that I'm a racist. And I'm like, did you, did you not scroll through? Did you, <laughs> you got to swipe. Swipe. <laughs> swipe, woman, swipe. So, so um, but, pe- but people were very triggered by that post. Um, and the first part is because I think, in my opinion, is because I think some people still really struggle with the idea that getting smaller is not necessarily the pursuit of health. Mm -hmm. I think that we are so ingrained that if we're skinny, we're healthy. And that comes from a diet industry that has over 95% failure rate. Um, But it's still so like we we learned that from a very young age that if if Mm -hmm. we're small then we must be we must be healthy um Mm -hmm. and if we're unhealthy it must be because we're too heavy (laughs) and right and you know and a lot of times we'll still hear that from our doctors now i see that that's starting to change there's more and more and more research out there um that really shows that obesity is not the cause of a lot of these health problems that mm-hmm. it that it's linked to but it is correlated with um that there are some authors that go so far as to say that what is actually the cause of a lot of these problems is not obesity at all but it is the the stigma linked to being shamed and feeling stress 
about your body all the time because when you do live in a larger body you are judged differently in society you are treated differently by almost everyone around you and that takes a toll just mm -hmm. in a very similar way that experiencing racism on a daily uh, basis takes a toll on your health mm -hmm. so um, that those are some things to really really examine yeah, so let's break this down a little bit. Let's let's take this um, the two main points I think that most people were either for or against or triggered by um, the fact when when we talk about um, diet culture being um, having racism as at its roots. Let's mm -hmm. talk about that a little bit. Sure. Yeah, so um, there's been some really great work lately. Um, there's a book called Fearing the Fat Body, and it is a meticulous historical breakdown of how um, diet culture started during the times of slavery. And it mm -hmm. was as a way to differentiate a thin white body from a quote unquote larger curvier body. Now, does this mean, am I saying that all black people are big and curvy? No. What I'm saying is that, that dieting was used as a way to try to create a distinction mm -hmm. and um, black bodies also come in all shapes and sizes, but it was this pursuit of thinness that was um, being pushed in order to um, to purposefully change your body to be different than what it would naturally be as a way to not be a black body right and this is not just our opinion like this is this has been researched and studied and examined and in that book that Cara talked about um, there are so many resources out there that show you um, this history and mm -hmm. so, and we, we also just want to say another disclaimer, we are not anti-racism educators. That's not um, what we do for a living, but we learn from those people and we encourage mm -hmm. you to learn from those people too. And we'll put some um, links for who to follow um, in the show notes of this uh, podcast so that you can go and learn from them too. Mm -hmm. We are not and the experts. Right. We are not the experts, but we have done some research. And so we've developed our opinions based on, on that. So um, another thing you can do if you're not wanting to invest in a whole book is actually Google uh, fat phobia and racism or diets and racism, and then either click on scholarly articles or you can actually search in Google scholarly articles for fat phobia and racism mm -hmm. and a ton of stuff will pull up. So, um, and you can do the same thing for like fat phobia in the diet industry or in med the medical uh, industry or in things like that so that you can start to kind of see some of the research that we have um, been using to develop these opinions that we have. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And as, as two white women, like this is not lost on us that we're two white women in this world, but mm -hmm. part of our mission is to continue to dismantle um, systemic racism and patriarchy. And this is one of the ways that we have done that. And yeah, like we said, not, 
some people were like, yay, thanks. And other people were like, this is literally the dumbest thing I've ever read. What was one of the Mm -hmm. quotes for a comment that was made. Yeah. And it's like, (laughs) well, actually. (laughs) So, but yeah, there, there are, there there is some basis for our statements um, and there's research that you can do on your own. And like I said, um, follow, follow these anti-racism educators for this information, because this is, well, for one thing, it's literally their living. So you'd be contributing to their livelihood, but also they are the experts. Um, But something that was still kind of prickly, but not as much as, as the um, racism portion of this post was the idea of um, fat phobia and diet culture and the pursuit of thinness. And I Mm -hmm. think what I think the reason that that Mm -hmm. also reached out to more people in a negative way is because we can't deny in our society that larger people get treated differently than smaller people. And because of that, being smaller, not only in society standards equals um, healthy, but it also equals good. Yes. Yeah. And, and as long as you're trying to be good, like there's a lot of, like, you know, you, we hear a lot from people who do live in bigger bodies that there's kind of this expectation of performing healthy behaviors as well. So as long as you're trying to lose weight, if you're big, you're more acceptable. Like mm-hmm. if you're ordering the salad for lunch or you go for a walk on your breaks or you, you know, it's more, you're more acceptable in the body you have because you're making an effort. Um, right. And that in itself is its own self of violence to me. Um, because nobody is policing the skinny girl eating pizza and cupcakes on her Instagram. Like it's not people, people don't question those choices in the same way because they have been privileged. So there isn't a certain amount of status involved in even the pursuit of trying to be thinner, because Mm -hmm. if you are thinner, then you're trying to do better. You're trying to be healthy. And, um, but as, as we've talked about a lot, a lot of these efforts to try to be thinner are actually not very healthy in themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, Diets are responsible in a lot of ways for the fact that we have the quote unquote obesity epidemic that we do. Um, Mm -hmm. Diets teach us to not listen to our body's cues, um, to um, try to eat in ways that have us sort of depleting our willpower constantly and um we really lose touch with our body's hunger cues with our um kind of basically listening for what we really need and that throws everything kind of out of whack there's Mm -hmm. oh i'll have to find the book don't come here for all the facts people because i don't there is a really great book um written by a doctor who found that if you sleep about seven hours a night, you eat green things a couple times a day, um, your stress is at a moderate level, and then you eat whatever you want beyond that, that your body will sort of settle at a certain weight. And that, and you won't deviate very far from that weight throughout your life if you do that for a period of time. Mm-hmm. And um, so we all sort of have a set weight and, and some people their set weight like that might be a little bigger 
And that's okay because our bodies do come in all different shapes and sizes. Um, but we have sort of, a lot of us are, have been cultured to think that there's this, there's one very small range of acceptable sizes and they're all pretty thin. Um, mm -hmm. And, and in reality, a lot of us don't, don't fit into that, that small little range. Right. Yeah. And I wanted to take a moment too. you had mentioned um, thin privilege and that is uh, probably its own um, podcast topic, but I wanted to, I wanted to say to like, we, we acknowledge that um, folks who live in smaller bodies have judgments made against them too. And that they, mm -hmm. you know, the old, uh, you need to eat a sandwich and whatever we, we recognize that that happens. And we don't think that, you know, anybody should be judged on what their body looks like, whether you're larger or smaller, but that's not what we're talking about in this particular episode. We're talking about fat phobia. And so I just want to take a moment um, and, and say that, just put that out there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that that is very real and absolutely happens um, for those people who have experienced that. I think it might also be worth thinking about what it would be like if you experienced that all the time because that's what it's like living in a bigger body mm -hmm. is to feel that kind of pressure all of the time. Yeah. And there's um, a lot of qualifiers um, for living in a bigger body. Like, like you had mentioned the, the performative aspects of living in a bigger body, walking on your lunch or ordering a salad at dinner. Um, mm -hmm. And I've even like, I've witnessed people like qualify like, I know I'm bigger, but I've lost 80 pounds. Like, you, mm -hmm. you don't need to do that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you, shouldn't, you shouldn't feel like you need to do that. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. But here we are. We're right. still fighting the same old battle in 2020. Like, we, I feel like we've been talking about this stuff for years and years and years. And I think that you and I have definitely grown more comfortable in our own skin and in the way that we look and we, st we still deal with body image issues like everybody else. But sure. I think that being more immersed in anti-diet culture has allowed us the freedom of having a healthier relationship with our own bodies. And that's what we want for, for our clients and for our listeners. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I can tell you, like when we first started like reading this information, it was not easy to take. So when I see those comments on Instagram, like this is the stupidest thing I ever heard, or, oh, I guess because I want to lose weight, I'm a terrible person or all of this stuff. Like I get it because I, when I first saw this, this information, I thought, no way, this is stupid. There's, if this is true, that means that throughout my life and the time that I've been a trainer, I have hurt people. And that mm -hmm. was really, really hard thing to grapple with. That, um, that a lot of the, my early years as a trainer was focused on thinness. Mm -hmm. And I really thought that I was helping people by pushing them to be thinner. And then to find that that wasn't the case there were so many layers to it that not only 
was being thinner, not necessarily healthier. That was the first one. That um, dieting in itself can cause a lot of health problems. Second one. <laughs> that, that the process in general is linked to capitalism, patriarchy, and racism. That was also a big whammy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it really pissed me off. And I was mad at myself too. So I get it. I get when, like, when you see these, these, these little snippets of information on social media, it can be startling Mm -hmm. to all of the things that you think, you know. And so I think it's important to examine that. Um, Mm -hmm. You'll see a lot of our responses to some of the people, the comments that we left on there, because there were some that were just kind of so unproductive. We, we took them off. Yeah. But um, that we really encourage people to examine why they feel that way. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, thinking about the way that you used to train people, or even that I used to train people, or even that we, uh, as a younger mm-hmm. company um, back in the day, used to train people, I think that we do the best that we can with the information that we have. And now with this information, it's our duty to share it with the world. And so I think that when you are presented with new information, you have a couple of opportunities here um, and maybe more than a couple, but you, you have the opportunity to say that's dumb and turn away and shut down, or you have the opportunity to ask yourself a couple of questions like, is this really true? And if this is really true, what does this mean for me and how I live my life? Um, and I think that the more you practice uh, self-examination, because it is uncomfortable, but the more you practice that discomfort, the more comfortable you get being uncomfortable, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. And, and the more receptive you are to learning more about the world that we live in and in essence, creating a better life for you, creating a better life for your family, your friends, your children, the world, mm-hmm. like this, these little things add up to some bigger changes. And if we can get everybody on board with, with taking a look at themselves and learning, mm-hmm. be, being open to new information, we could go a long way. Yeah. And, you know, you saw that, I I saw that in a lot of people sort of through this last social justice reckoning um, with George Floyd's death, that a lot of people who had lived sort of within their white privilege bubble started to see the realities Mm -hmm. of white privilege and how people living in darker skin are living in this country. And once you start to see that stuff, it's really hard to not see it. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's one thing. And so when you apply that to the diet industry or the wellness industry or the fitness industry, you start really seeing everywhere how these systems have been created to sort of, I mean, I don't know if control us is too strong of a word, but to definitely keep us occupied um, mm-hmm. and to make money off of us. Right. Where um, it's not, not necessarily to make us better and healthier. So, um, 
So that's, that's something that I have a lot of hope for. And in some ways, that's why I put those things out there. I knew that that post was going to piss people off. I did. Um, but I thought if this is the first time, if somebody is sort of shocked into like, oh, I can't believe she said that. Um, it's not probably not the last time they'll hear that or they'll yeah. see that. Mm-hmm. And maybe having gotten like a toe in the water and then they would not think about it for a while or they feel like they kind of, they told me, but then it comes up again. And then maybe at some point that person will be like, you know, maybe there is something to this um, where if we never put it out there and we don't ever sort of like create the wave, I guess it's mm-hmm. harder. It's you, you, people can live in their little bubbles and some people so, can live in their little bubbles, right? Yes. Yeah. Some, some people just choose to. <laughs> mm-hmm. like, yeah. But. And, and more often than not, those people are, are white people who can live in their bubbles because they have the privilege of not having to experience these things every single day of their lives and mm-hmm. in every system that, that is in place. And I wanted to circle back around too to th- that one comment that somebody made that because I want to lose weight, I'm a racist. Thanks. You know, and mm-hmm. it's like, no, that's, that's not being a racist and benefit benefiting from systemic systemic racism are two different things. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So certainly there are blatant racists out there. We, we see them, their, their voices are elevated, um, which Mm. sorry I'm getting mad about that for a second it's very fortunate um but uh there's also these nuances that like Kari you were talking about maybe control being too strong of a word but I think there's there's something to that in the at the systemic level at least because these things were designed to benefit um light-skinned people white people um Mm -hmm. and so that's an another thing to consider is you may not be the blatant racist um, walking around hurling insults all the time, but you may be benefiting from a systemic uh, racist culture, which a lot of people are without realizing it until now. And we, mm-hmm. we also recognize for black and brown people and people of color, like they don't really, they don't, they can't afford for us to take our time with this stuff. Like mm-hmm. once you, once you dip your toe in the water, like dive in, because this is something that we can change. Um, if we can all get on board, like, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, I just, I just read an article this morning that said that 545 children at the border are still separated from their parents two years later. Mm-hmm. And it makes me ill thinking about it. I'm so angry that this is something that can even happen. That's, and they said that the projections are probably even higher than that. These are just the ones that have been documented. Um, and I think only someone who doesn't believe that those people are really people would say that that's okay to do. Mm-hmm. To believe that it's okay to treat people like basically like animals mm-hmm. and change these children's lives forever oh yeah um yeah because even now i mean if those kids went back they 
they've still been living with like a foster family for a year or two now. And it's still a huge, I mean, it, the, it, the whole thing sucks. The, the entire high level of thing. Trauma. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, people's lives are on the line. And I think one of the things that can be the hardest to grapple with when you're doing anti-racism work is that it's not, it's not only making sure there's room for everyone and everyone is treated equally because of this power differential that we have with white supremacy. We, we as white people also need to be okay with giving up some of our power. It's not just giving power to other people. It's saying, no, really like we should fill this, this spot with a person of color. Mm-hmm. We should make sure that a black person is leading this charge. Mm-hmm. We should, and, and when, and that can feel scary because it might feel threatening to us because we're so used to being considered for these top positions or that getting, getting the seat first or, you know, all, whatever it is. And, um, I think that is probably the hardest thing because that's where I think white feminism tends to fail is that we're okay to a point. We're all sisters up into a point, but mm-hmm. then if I have to give up some of my power to help you, I'm not so sure I want to do it. Yeah. Um, yep. And we've, we've got to get our shit together because I can't imagine being separated from my babies and um, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. So this white, white supremacy, systemic racism, fat phobia, diet culture, you can see how all of these things are so intertwined and we want it. We want to encourage you that when you see these things, if you take, take offense, ask yourself why, And instead of asking, is this person calling me a racist? Maybe you can ask yourself, how can I be more anti-racist? Because those, those behaviors, those actions, the way you vote, um, those things are going to be the things that make a difference instead of just Mm -hmm. being butthurt about (laughs) wanting to lose weight. Sorry. (laughs) It's okay. And it's a hard thing. Like, Breaking up with diet culture is a hard thing. Even today, with something that we built our business on this, we very much believe in, you know, not dieting, not um, promoting weight loss. There are still days when I'm like, hmm, maybe I could do this and I could lose a little weight. Like, I have this little voice in my head that pops up every now and then. Mm-hmm. And it is really hard to shrug that off. So when we post something like this, we're not, we're not saying that we have it all figured out. It's also a reminder to us Mm -hmm. that this is an important process living in our bodies as they are and learning to listen to our bodies, um, is, is in itself a hard thing sometimes. Mm -hmm. And and I'm, I do not mean to diminish that by posting that. It is more to, 
examine why it is that we spend so much time and energy and money to change who we are. Yeah. Yeah. And we, we've said this before. We don't believe that having aesthetic goals, we don't believe that wanting to lose weight or getting more toned or muscular or whatever. We don't, we don't believe that those desires are inherently bad. We just, we, we just want to approach it from the perspective of, is this a, is this a car goal or is this a diet culture goal? Is this a gel goal or is this trying to be performative goal? Um, And you might be surprised at the answer. And maybe like, maybe the answer is I would feel better in my body with less weight and that's fine. Mm -hmm. But subscribing to this diet culture BS is not doing anyone any favors. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's a really, really important distinction because, you know, like I, I've known people who have like had knee pain or plantar fasciitis or other, other issues and they have felt better in lighter bodies. And that's a very real thing. Mm -hmm. Um, But it can be very hard sometimes to tease out what the real reason is. And um, because a lot of us, especially women have grown up their whole life feeling that basically by the time they hit puberty, they should be smaller. Yep. And so um, I, I think that as we start to think about this more and more, we maybe don't even have to make any real decisions, but it's just on our radar. We can start maybe really starting to figure out what the difference is between those cultural standards and our personal goals. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yes. So be okay with self-examination, be okay with being wrong. Like Cara and I are wrong mm-hmm. all the time. We will continue to be wrong awesome. mm-hmm. <laughs> and do, do some research, uh, check out the links to the books that we um, discussed in today's podcast, check out the links to some of the anti-racism educators that you can follow and yeah, do, do some self-work and let's see where we can go with this thing. Yeah. That's all that we have for you today. If you like the Push podcast, make sure that you subscribe and that you share and comment on the uh, podcast itself. The more uh, visibility it gets, the higher up on the rankings it gets through subscriptions and likes and comments and shares. And that makes it easier for more people just like you to find us and listen in. Sounds good. All right. Bye. Bye.